This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to another Double Tap for uh, Friday, the 21st of October 2022, as we head towards the weekend. We look back at CSUN 2022 and some of the big announcements. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. Hey, Sean Priest, happy Friday. It's Friday, thank God. Yes, happy Friday, Stephen. How are you? Now, that suggests that uh, yes. you are, are, you know, kind of glad to see the back of me this week. That's not nice, Sean Priest. Well, it is quite nice, actually. I hand you off to uh, the other parent, which is Mark Aflalo, for tomorrow. So, yeah, that means tomorrow I can do my own thing. Freedom! Yeah. You obviously didn't get the memo, did you? I, I just love how you never read your emails. You never what? read your emails, do you? you do, uh, yeah, I'm not on tomorrow. I tell you, you that much. Because I'm not here tomorrow. I'm not oh, here tomorrow. sweet child Mark of mine. This is unbelievable. And you are hosting Weekend Edition. Hurrah! Oh, great. No, I can't wait. Hooray. Thank you. <laughs> you know the best thing? What I love <sighs> about you is that you, you yes. actually said to me a week ago, oh, yeah, I see in my diary I'm doing the show with... Uh, Mark and... Yeah, but that was a week ago. I mean, haven't oh. looked back since then. Never looked back, Stephen Scott. Always look forward. Well, that kind of rules out this episode then, doesn't it? Because <laughs> that's exactly what we're doing today. We're uh, looking <laughs> back. Um, sorry. Uh, yeah, we are looking back today. JJ Meadow, a friend of the show and regular contributor here, especially to Double Tap TV and Double Tap uh, here on AMI-audio and on JJ. podcast. Good old yeah. JJ. He, he's always stood by, net, by a train every yeah, time we talk right. to him. Every time we spoke to him, he's always standing there. Well, today we actually get him not on a train, not on any form of transport, not with a... Remember the time he did it with a, a jacket over his head? Yes, God bless him. He's he a professional. He the sound of the conference centre he was in, so he just sat in the corner with a jacket over him. And you know the best bit? Nobody bothered him. Antisocial. Yes. It's like a tortoise. I actually think there's something in that. Couldn't they create that? Oh, could that be so cool? Imagine they created like some kind of, you know, you could wear like a jacket, right? But the jacket oh, no. had like a, a turtle style shell that could just come right over you and you could just disappear off into your own little world. <laughs> I would love that. Yes, that sounds perfect. Oh. Yeah, we're, everyone's sort of separated, everyone in the same room, but in their own turtle shell. Yeah, great. Well done, Stephen. That is a physical representation of the social media world and the, the iPhone oh. world. Oh, that's so deep. Isn't oh, it? well done, you. You should tweet that. I could be uh, that there psychiatrist or psychologist. <laughs> or which one is it? I don't know. I can't remember. Philosopher. Yeah, that's it. Can't say that word. Uh, yeah, hi, everybody. It is Friday. And uh, yeah, coming up, we're going to be recapping CSUN. But look, before that, something I said yesterday on the show kind of made me think. And I, I you know, I've... I've Got myself my coffee here, because mm. I think it's time for you and I to have a chat. Oh, okay. Well, it was lovely oh, working with not, you. It's not that chat. No, it's all right. All it's right. not that chat. Okay. Not yet. No, no. Well. Yeah. Anyway, change the subject quickly. I don't, I don't think you realise that we just edit you out and put Mark in for all the shows <laughs> that we've during the day. Didn't we, do you know, know that? We just, we I don't the listen to the shows. No, of course not. I don't know. <laughs> no, listen, today I thought we'd talk a little bit about we kind of started talking about this yesterday, but we came to the point in the show we really had to move on. And um, 
I was mentioning about, you know, using technology like ARX vision or Envision glasses for mobility purposes, for moving around. And, you know, you, you could really expand this out. And I was thinking about this because I see so many stories about smart canes um, or, you know, the replacement for the, the white cane or the guide dog. And I have to say, every time I hear about them, as much as I'm a tech geek and I love all this stuff, I get a little bit nervous when it comes to replacing my my mobility aid. And I just that's I, because you know it's not true. You know it's a as Judge Judy says, "Who shot John?" It it it's it, it's just it's what? it's PR. I believe it's uh, to cover up from for swearing, uh, oh, but I I, yeah. Um, but what I'm saying is, it's just PR speak, right? It, it isn't. There has been no tech so far that can replace a guide dog, in particularly a guide dog, right? But even the um, the white cane, there has been nothing. Well, look, maybe I'll get into this today. I don't know. I'll, I, how much hate do Uh-oh. you want on the email inbox? That's the question. Um, go on, go for it. You're, well, you're amongst friends. I saw a me. tweet the other day. I see a lot of tweets about guide dogs, right? And look, I get the guide dog thing. I totally do. Uh-oh. No, no I've changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I, I get it. I get people love guide dogs. I get the value they bring. My wife is a guide dog. I see the difference it has made to her. I absolutely get it. Here comes the butt. Well, I'll say and at this point, because one thing my wife does, which I think is the key to this, and I think a lot of people, um, I, I'm sure a lot of other blind people do this as well. I'm not suggesting they don't, but I think it's important because I also know blind people who don't do this, and that is keep up their orientation and mobility skills with their white cane. Because I would argue that the white cane is probably the most, I'm not, and I, I, I will preface this by saying I'm not a fan of the white cane. I use it because I have to use it, but I do think it gives me more independence than a dog does, personally. And I'll explain why. Good, because I'm confused. Okay, go on. So I get the independence and the freedom. And I think that's the problem. Some people conflate freedom and independence, you know, together here. But I, I actually don't, I don't think that's the case. Let me, let me talk through this. So get your coffee, get ready for this. Here comes a, a brain dump from Stephen Scott. So good Sit luck. Sit back, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be a, this is going to be a long one. Um, but my thinking is when I go out with my white cane, you know, let's let's say, for example, it's bin day, it's trash day. So I'm going out and all the bins are everywhere. And if my wife goes out, she will navigate with the guide dog around all the bins. She'll go off to where she's going. She'll kind of just breeze through her day, right? To an extent, she'll breeze through with the dog. Whereas I'll be going up and knocking the bins over and then finding the bins and then falling over the next one and locating this bin, locating that bin. But part of me feels, although it's not the best way to do it, or arguably, maybe it is, um, at least I know my surroundings, right? I know people who go around through their day who have no idea about their surroundings, have no idea where things are, have no idea where, um, you know, because they rely on the dog and the dog takes them past objects, right? So the dog actually, you know, avoids obstacles, whereas the cane will locate them. And another, I, I, maybe a better example of this was when I was in Montreal uh, last well, God, whatever, whatever it was, a few months back, and I was uh, Mark. Uh, I was visiting Mark Flallow, of course. We were out there for Double Tap TV, a town hall, and I'd gone to visit Mark at his place in Montreal. After that, and one day I said, "I quite fancy going to a, a, like a shopping centre of some kind," and he dropped me off at the shopping centre. And 
I just sort of trailed my way around the shopping centre, started on the right wall and just went for it. And was able to very quickly navigate myself back and forward to where I was going because I kind of knew the layout. I kind of felt the layout of it. And I don't know if I would have got that had I had, for example, a guide dog and a beacon telling me where the shop I was going to was telling me where to go. You know, because I would kind of miss all the other information that I'm getting as a result by sort of banging around with my white cane. So that I'm not saying one's better or, or one's not, but I just... I think, you are. Well, I'm not, because I, I would have a guide I'd love a guide dog, but I just feel... I don't know, as, as much as I... The more time I've spent with the white cane and the years and years I've had it, and I've just really realised how much I need it, I, I actually quite... I hate to say like it, but I kind of... I love get, it. I'm getting used to it. You know, I'm getting used to having it, and I feel... And it is a very personal thing. That's why I say this. I, I'm very clear on this. This is a very individual thing because my, my wife feels differently about it. She hates the white cane. She cannot stand it. She would much rather have the dog because she feels so much more control. So it is very individual. But I just put that out there because not, not to say that it's right or wrong. It's just my experience. But I don't think many people say that. I don't hear that conversation. I hear endless talk about how wonderful the, the, the dog is and the independence it gives you. But, and, and I think what happens is as a result of that kind of conversation in the public sphere, it kind of creates this idea that the guide dog is the official symbol of blindness, like the wheelchair is the official symbol of disability. And I think that creates a problem. You know, I've had people say to me, oh, you're gonna, you, you will get the guide dog then because your wife's got a guide dog, so she's properly blind. And I, yes. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> You've only got the white stick. You're, yeah, you're, so you're on the bottom you're... rung of the ladder. You're learning, you know, we're, we're, I've got my provisional license. You know, it's, it's just, that's just nonsense to me. No, yeah, but isn't it a case of, I mean, you can do both things, right? But using a guide dog is for when you want to get somewhere without the faff of falling over every bin in front of you. But if I want to learn an area, like when I moved here, this new house was four years ago now, um, I went round... Like, you know, my street started off just up and down my street, feeling where every lamppost is, where every drop curb was, you know what I mean? And and feeling it, because using the cane is exactly the same as feeling with my hands, right? It's, it's like, it's like yes. crawling along the pavement and feeling. Exactly. That's, that's exactly what you're doing. Now, that's fine, but if I quickly need to get to, I don't know, an appointment at the doctor's, I don't want to be doing that. I just want to use the guide dog who will quickly get me there. And plus, let's not forget as well that where guide dogs are unbelievably amazing. Um, I've seen it where people have, have lost their way, have got disorientated, and they simply say, find the path or find the whatever it may, find the door. And the guide dog just is able to do it, which you're not able to do with a cane. You are left, you know, tapping. How many times have I tapped around a thousand times around a building trying to find a beeping door. It, it drives me crazy. Well, that, that uh, brings me to the second point, though, which okay. is about orientation and mobility, of which, by the way, you have none. Yes, I've never done it. Yeah. And you gave me my first white cane. I, and I, I, I literally, I literally thrust it into your hand and said, please, for the love of God, would you use this? Yes. Because, you know, then you'll go. And, and you maybe maybe you needed that a little bit. Maybe you needed someone to do that. I know you were always, because if, if we remember back that when we met for the very first time, we met on an interview on the radio. I mean, it's kind of ironic in a way, but that's how we met. We, we were doing work on a, another podcast and then, you know, we started chatting and that's how you we, we got to know each other. And actually yep. it was the, I always tell people that's how we clicked 
because we talked about the white cane. Both of us at that time were very, very hesitant to use the white cane. Yeah, we were transitioning. It was that point, right? I was using the ID cane, but I was carrying it in my pocket. And then as soon as I came back from anywhere and got on my street, I was hiding that cane so my neighbours or friends didn't see me. Now, looking back on it, absolutely ridiculous. I know. I can't even think about me being in that mindset. But at the time, it made total sense. And the just using a white stick was so frightening. So strange, right? You see, everyone talks nowadays about identity, you know, identity this, identity that, and identify as whatever you identify as, and that's fine. But one of the things I could never do was identify, in quotes, as a blind person. It just wasn't for me. And I, I, I just, you couldn't, I, I couldn't, it Ironically, for me. see I myself that. <laughs> <laughs> as that person. Uh, I couldn't, I just couldn't see it. And when you and I talked about it, I remember thinking it's so nice to meet someone who is totally on the same page here. And it was it was exactly that moment we, t- we, we clicked because we talked about the white cane and you were talking about this. And I said to you exactly the same thing. I would come in, I not long moved to this area. And um, when I got here, I remember thinking, I'm not going to use the white cane. I'm not going to use the white cane. So I would use it up to the point of turning into the street and then put it back in my, my bag. And you did exactly the same thing. And it was just so weird, but so kind of nice to hear that I wasn't alone doing that. Yes, and in a you're way, not crazy. Yes. No, but in a way that was kind of part of it. You know, it was about, well, okay, at that point, maybe I do need to think about this. And when you do start injuring yourself and you do start having problems, you do think you need it. But And, and I do believe that keeping up that orientation and mobility with the cane in particular is really important because I think you need to, I think if you rely on the dog all the time, I wonder if you're maybe neglecting your own independence. Because this is the problem. People think the dog gives you independence, but okay, but that's fine. But what, what, what if the dog's not there? What if the dog's sick for a day? And that's the bit that kind of gets me now, I had a guide dog. Full disclosure, I had a guide dog for a year. Uh, I was 19 at the time. It didn't work for me. I think it was more to do with my age. I, I wanted yeah. to go out to nightclubs when I was 19, and, you know, a dog was going to cramp the style a bit. So it didn't work for me. Oh, how naive you were. The women would have loved it. Pro- they love yeah, a I dog. Know. I know. I would have probably been an absolute <laughs> hit. I'd certainly got on more, gone better with the dog than without, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> the dog would get more attention than me. Um <sighs> But yeah, I think it was all about identity at that time for me. It was all about, you know, who I was and who I wasn't, uh, more importantly. No, absolutely. It's, yeah. I, 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 and I almost feel guilty about saying it. I didn't want to be that blind person. No. You know, and it, it, it makes you feel a little bit ashamed of yourself because, well, what's wrong with being that blind person? But it, it's a different person to who you thought you were. Sounds deep. This is way beyond me. But you know what I'm saying? I'm just, I'm just being open well, about Well, look, it. I would say, yeah, exactly. But I'd also say I think that something's changed in the past few years, particularly the last few years. And I think social media has helped this actually in some way because I'm finding so many people on social media who are blind, who I consider to be, and it's funny, you know, we have, we have categories in blindness, right? So you have normal blind people and then you just have blind people. Um, you know, and there are those, you know, normal. we all know who I they are. You. We all know who they are. There's those people who are, you know, they're, they're blind people, right? And then you have the normal blind people who are like, like us and you feel kind of, oh, okay, cool. Um, and I, you know, and, and I totally, you, <laughs> you need to explain this no, a little bit No, no, you know exactly better. what I mean by that. You, and anybody listening will know exactly what I'm talking about. We all know who those people are. I have to say it's not exclusive to blindness. We all have those people in our lives. 
You know, there's people you can just kind of get with and go, hey, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. And there's other people who say, hey, how you doing? And they go, I hate everything. Life is terrible. And you, All right. Okay, fine. You're one of them. Okay. Okay. Whatever. Um, you know, that's... that's <laughs> oh, dear. I, just, I, I can't I, wait for the emails. I, I just feel that, you know, technology is great. And, and this is kind of where we were going with this, but technology is great but it can't replace either of those things. And actually, the guide dog and the, the white cane are the absolute baseline for VI mobility. It really is. And, it I, is. and I, I kind of don't want tech companies to get into this space. Well, you say baseline, I would say it's the pinnacle. There is nothing mm, yeah. better than that. I, I, look, if the technology comes along, which does improve on it, Absolutely fantastic. I will ditch the white cane tomorrow. Would you though? And actually, but but that's the point. That's my, what's the suggestion here is that something needs to be fixed. Something's wrong with the cane or something's missing from the cane. Um, I don't don't think there is. I don't go with it. No, I don't think there is either. And I'm not thinking, I don't think that's the assertion that there is something better. It's the same with anything. It's just, how can this be improved? Now, I don't know if it can be improved. I think you know the stick is is quite actually pure in what its function is. So I don't know that the smart the technology that's been added to the cane so far, I don't think personally has worked in improving it. In fact, I think it's detracted from it in some ways. So yes, well, but let's that's take not... WeWalk as an example. Okay, so wow, you're out there. You're mentioning them all. Why are well, you taking no prisoners today? Well, look, I have a reputation for telling it how it is and how I feel. And I'm not going to stop doing that. So, all right, okay. And you know go what? People then. don't want to listen. They can turn off. I don't care. All right, go on then. But here's the thing. <laughs> I I look at a company like WeWalk, and I've I've got the WeWalk cane. They they very kindly sent me one. I've had a, a play with it. I find I've fed back to them that I thought that the handle of it was just a bit too big. It was something that they could definitely bring down in size because it felt a little mm. bit big to it's handle. Like a Hoover. Yeah. yeah, and it was a little. It was actually, and it was, um, <laughs> it, it was actually a little bit too top heavy as a result. So the cane, you know, if you had like a really light carbon fiber cane, it would kind of be a bit too top heavy. So it made it quite difficult to navigate with. Uh, I imagine over time that would improve. So that's one area. Um, but it was the tactile feedback you were getting. So it would give you not just the information about what was on the ground, you know, obviously through the cane, through the ball or whatever you use for the cane, whether it be a tip or a mushroom or you know ball or whatever it is. But you would also get head height information. So you'd get, for example, say, um, if, if you were walking towards overhanging branches, it would, uh, it would alert you to that. Yeah, um, the sonar. Yeah. And that, yeah. Was, that was quite interesting. But it would also, and could also, didn't, didn't have to turn this on, but you could also get feedback when, say, you were navigating. So it would help you navigate. So if you wanted to know if you were turning left or right, you would get, you know, a, a specific set of vibrations for left, specific for right. You know, that was quite interesting. But the problem I found was that all that information was coming through the same device as the cane, which I need to get information from already. So I'm having vibration on top of vibration. And I'm trying to, yeah. you know, whilst I'm moving around a space, try and kind of disseminate all that into something that is... Understandable, and you know, it was, I will say, you know, I use the Sunu band as well, which you wear on the opposite wrist. So, if you're in my case, I use my cane in my left hand, so you would wear the Sunu band on your right arm, and that 
gives you similar kind of information. You, the way they kind of describe it is it's like um, it's like having a torch on your wrist. And you kind of just move your wrist left and right. It kind of sticks out straight ahead of you as you're walking. So as your arm's down by your side, it's kind of peering out straight ahead. And you can just sort of turn it like a torch to decide or get information from you, what you're walking up to. So say you were walking up to a wheelie bin, it would give you that information. It would give you the sense of vibration. You know, faster vibrations means you're getting close. Slower means it's further away. That kind of thing. And that was kind of interesting. But again, a lot of vibrations coming all the time. And I think most of the time it was probably me. It was probably telling me I was in the way of <laughs> That's myself. your leg. Yes, your leg is nearby. <laughs> it's not the first person to say that. You know, it's interesting to get technology to do it as well. I would love to try that. The biggest problem I've found since losing substantial vision is the cars on the pavement. It really, really slows me down. There's one road here where there's a lot of cars on the pavement and they're, they're not consistent. And I can't, it's not something you can actually learn. You know, I mean, they're always changing. And it really slows me down. And something like a sonar, you know, wristband, like the Sunu, it actually sounds like that would be a good solution to that. Because I hate running into the cars with my cane because it makes such a noise. And I'm sure someone's going to run out. So stop it in my car at some point. Um, well, don't park it in the pavement would be a good start. Yeah, of course, yes. But I, you know, I just don't want that argument. But I, I'm saying I, I would love to try that Sunu bank. So I think that would be good for that but the point you're i think you're making is that it's almost like tactile overload right because yeah. you've always got i find it sometimes it sounds strange to say but it's exhausting going out because i'm concentrating okay this drop curb is here i need two more drop curbs and i know that i'm turning that way I'm, you're always concentrating on your surroundings it makes me laugh because someone will come up to me and say do you know where you are and i think <sighs> you know what i probably know where i am better than you do absolutely concentrating 100% of the time. Now, when you've got other things on top of that, like, okay, what does this vibration mean? What's this beeping at me about? Then it can be a little bit overwhelming. So, yeah, I honestly don't think it improves on the basic cane. No. I, is it? Is it an age thing? Is it just me? I, I find I just get so much, I get so overwhelmed so easily when out and about. I think it's because you're right. You're, you're concentrating so much. I mean, I concentrate I remember I was talking to a friend of mine about coming down the stairs in the house and she said to me, she was a neighbour across the road and she came over to get something and I came downstairs and she said, you you look as if you're in such deep thought. And I said, really? And she said, yeah. And she said, when you were coming down those stairs. And I, I was completely unaware of it, but I was beginning to get aware of the fact that, yeah, I'm clearly counting these steps because I did miss a couple once. I remember missing a step and then, you know, you put oh, your yes. foot out and you go and then suddenly I'm like flying in midair thinking... <laughs> you think you're falling down a cliff. I, honestly, yes. I thought, what's going to happen? I almost broke my knee because I landed on, I like landed on my foot. I didn't fall. I just landed on my foot. So, so easily done. Ballerina style, you know? <laughs> oh, well done. You oh, cause Dumbo I, I, does ballerina. I hate That's it me, when, by you, the way. when you're going up the stairs and I, I try to step up a step, which isn't there. You're already at the top. Oh, it's I like do I'm, that all the time. I I'm still trying you to go up. You keep climbing. <laughs> Your legs kicking out. Where's this step? Because <laughs> you think, well, just in case, just in case, I don't trip over the top steps. I'll just keep climbing. And I always think <sighs> to myself because I think the problem is when you've got some vision left, you you think maybe I should, maybe I should trust it. So you kind of. But I've realised that when on stairs, especially, I'm terrified on stairs. Actually, my wife and I talked about this, and we said, you know, maybe we should just have a bungalow because this is really not good for us. <laughs> you know, stairs are just an absolute nightmare. Um, but you know, you do you, you kind of think 
oh, I'm at the top, I'm at the top, and then you realise you're not, and you think, oh, hang on, I, I'm not judging this at all visually. And it goes back to no. the thing I've said on, maybe I have, maybe I've said it here, I don't know, but you know, I've mentioned it before that sometimes the extra, what's left of vision, can actually become harmful. You know, I think I'd, I used to call it useless. I used to, you know, the, the doctors always talk about useful vision. Yes. And I think there is, a, I think, I think, I'm no doubt for some people, there is useful vision, right? I mean, some people can be low vision and have an amount of useful vision. And I certainly think I did for a number of years. But then I think there comes a point where it kind of dips into the useless category. And then I think it falls into a new category I'm learning, which is the harmful one, where you believe it and then you realise that it's wrong, that the information you're getting visually is wrong. That's very yeah. hard to explain to people. Um, oh, absolutely. You Cameras know I mean. do lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's almost becomes a hindrance because you're trying to rely on faulty information from your eyes, which just aren't reliable anymore. Yeah, it's like, and, a, it, a, it's like an image that's always constantly developing in front of you. So that's how I kind of try to describe it to people. It's like, imagine the world is made up of just everything in front of you is just a bunch of squares. And it, all these squares are kind of lighting up and building this image every single time you walk into a room, every time you move around a space. And the problem is the reaction time or the time it takes for that this picture to emerge can sometimes be so long that you miss things. So instantly someone will hand you something and by the time I've turned and looked at them, it might you know, I might be able to take the thing off you, but it might take me like 10 seconds before I even realise it's there. Yeah. That's, I, 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 look, I've just found now that I'm just making up the visions, the, the visuals in my head. Mm. It's not even reality. I'm just, you know, oh, th this top is a, a black top. And it, well, it's, no, it's not actually, Sean. It's, it's a bright yellow top. So, and I could actually see it as a black top, but that's all in my head. That's residual visual memories, maybe. I don't know what it is, but it's not reliable. And it's funny how you don't, sometimes you don't even realize that yourself. And it's, it is interesting because you then think to yourself, well, how much vision do I actually have? Yeah, exactly. It's like that, yeah. it's like that monitor. So I bought the Apple Studio display and I'm loving it, right? Because it's the sound, I have to be honest, it's the sound because I just enjoy having voiceover coming out of that type of device as opposed to big studio speakers because I find it's just a bit too much, you know, especially with the voice constantly, it's just a bit too, too grating. Mm -hmm. So having it come out of a monitor is actually quite nice. And um, the speaker sound is incredible. We put music on the other night on it and you would... I, I, honestly, I was blown away how good this thing sounded. Um, it it's was still a just, monitor, though. Well, that's but that's the thing. <laughs> it's a monitor, and it sounds incredible. But, you know, it goes back to this point. I buy this monitor, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, what value am I going to get out of this actual screen? And I try and tell myself that I'm getting all this value out of it. But when you ask me, okay, so do you do you read text on it? No. Can you, when you're editing video, are you able to use Final Cut without voiceover? Are you able to use any of the features of Final Cut without voiceover? No. Can you tell what's on screen with the video? No. Yeah, <laughs> so you kind of get to right. a point of going, what am I, what can I actually see? <laughs> what am I doing with my life? <laughs> I mean, I just bought a big, a big, nice speaker and put it in front of me. It would have been just as, as useful. It's just so funny, isn't it? But I think sometimes we we try and hang on as much as we can. But then we realise, and it's so funny because it is day dependent. You know, I have days where... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, and I'll say, if I'm honest, probably more nights I get better visual acuity. Um, I, I mean, not enough to do much more, but just, it, it just I guess, enough to not feel like I'm constantly living inside a tornado. Yeah. 
No, I'm with you on that. Because with nystagmus, as you know now, you having nystagmus, it, it's kind of just, it, it just feels like, I don't know, it sometimes feels like I'm just living in a constant fog. Oh, um, constant, yeah. Because the head is just constantly spinning. And then sometimes it just eases. And that, it does help the vision to some degree, but the vision is not really what I'm excited about. It's just the fact I feel like my head is clear. You've stopped rocking around the place. Yeah, five minutes. Yeah. Do you do, do you do the thing? Do you do you ever find your head starts lolling from left to right, just randomly? Um, I find my yes, I have found myself doing that when I'm walking now because I'm not focusing on anything mm-hmm. I thought that was. That I'm finding my it's like my head's asleep, but my body's walking about. So my head's lolling. <laughs> it's something I've, I'm I'm acutely aware of. I've got to stop doing because that must look weird. No, I, I, it happens. That man's asleep nystagmus. at the wheel. That's what it is. This is nystagmus. You see, the, the eye, if the eye is is moving, uh, and your head, it'll just move your head for you. It's such a weird thing. Such a weird mm, thing. Anyway, look, like it's it. been it's been interesting chatting about it, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk more about all this. We are going to be uh, reviewing CSUN 2022 with JJ Meadow. That is coming up next here on Double Tap. Follow Double Tap on social media at Double Tap On Air and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and email us feedback at ami.ca. We'll be right back. This is Double Tap. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Double Tap. Now, today we have JJ Meadow joining us from Blind Bargains. You'll know the voice, you'll know the name. And uh, you'll have probably heard him here on Double Tap before as he's reported from some uh, rather unusual places talking to us about the uh, CSUN event that happens every year. And uh, we thought we'd recap it today here on Double Tap just to give you a sense of what was on show. So, JJ, first off, thank you so much for coming back on to Double Tap. We really appreciate it. Uh, This was the first time it was back after COVID, right? It was after the pandemic. It was pretty much virtual and uh, like a lot of these type of conferences had gone virtual, but now is back in person this year. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened to a lot of people. So two years ago, that conference became a ghost town by the end of the week. All of the big companies, as in the mainstream companies, Google's, Microsoft, all pulled out at some point. And by the end of the week, it was pretty much a ghost town. And there was a lot of talk about how the conference mishandled COVID. And mind you, people didn't really know what to do with COVID at that point. So that's a bit of an understanding. But still, it was a conference that left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. So between then and now, of course, we've gone through so much. But I think by now, people were ready to kind of get back in person, do a lot of things in person. There was a fair amount of health and safety protocols in place. Uh, You pretty much had to have vaccines or a negative test to attend, and they did check that when I uh, signed in for the day. You had to get a daily wristband and do a health and screening thing. But beyond that, there wasn't any limitations. The exhibit hall was there in full force. Quite a few companies were there. There was uh, certainly quite a few that didn't attend because of either their company didn't allow them to still, or maybe they were actually not so happy the way they were treated last time. I know a couple didn't attend for that reason, but there was a lot of new products. And I think it was just great to reconnect and realize the value of an in-person conference again. Yeah, I saw a lot of people actually commenting on that when they go back on Twitter. A lot of people saying, you know, it was really nice just to be back in person again. And, you know, it's funny when we talk to disabled people, we tend to get the opposite conversation, which is, you know what, why can't these things just remain virtual? Because, you know, for a lot of people, they just can't get to these events and they would love to go. And when they're in person, it excludes people. But 
it, it, kind of a combination of both is really necessary, isn't it, to make this to make this work going forward? Yeah, I agree. I think the one thing that you lose from not having an in-person event is the spontaneous meetings. I had so many conversations with people about current and emerging technologies throughout the week that this wouldn't happen on a scheduled Zoom call. There actually were a few events. I intended one that was an indoor navigation summit that was held in person and online. And I know the conference organizers also streamed some of the of conference for this year, which is something that people have been pushing them to do for a long time. So there was some of that who people who wanted it. But the in-person interactions and the spontaneous interactions really is what makes a conference like this work. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get into it then. And maybe we should start, I guess, for people who live under a rock and don't know what CSUN this, or, or, and I always say this, I always say CSUN as if it is an all-encompassing thing. But of course, CSUN is actually a university, isn't it? It's, yeah. It's the event itself is the the was it the accessible or the assistive technology, technology conference? Yep. Yeah, conference. Right. So th- this is a conference held at that place every year. Is that right? Yeah, it's actually at a hotel. Um, it's moved around a couple of different times. We were in San Diego for many many years, and then they've moved over to Anaheim, where they have been since 2019, and where they have announced they'll be back next year. So it's a huge conference at the Marriott in Anaheim. Let's talk about some of the the product announcements. Um, we'll maybe get to that first, shall we? Because that's what everyone's interested in. Let's talk about, for example, all the new Braille tech that was on show. Lots of stuff we'd seen before, but lots of new stuff to talk about. Yes, lots of Braille. And I know this is something that we've had in the past. Like, yeah, it's the year of Braille. And we were doing this and we had various Braille displays. What was different this year is that there were tactile graphics displays that you could feel that were displaying actual graphics that were not staged demos. People had tablets connected to a device and they were sending over both images and text that you could feel. I was feeling bar graphs and pie graphs and text and graphics and text on the same display. And these were things that were live and not just entirely staged demos. Um, so there's a lot going on in that area. And it's really exciting to kind of see the future or feel the future of tactile graphics. Yeah, this is a new area. Well, I say new area. It's a newish area uh, for this tech. We have seen iterations of this, but like you say, they've often been staged demos rather than physical products that people can can get up close and personal with. Do you think this marks a change in the conversation around Braille, moving away from the "is it dead" conversation to you know, how can it be useful? Yes, I certainly hope so. I mean, anything that can make Braille more accessible to more people is certainly something that we want to try to support. One of the big things that has developed is the technology from DOT, the new type of Braille cells that they are using in their own DOT pad, but it's also being used in other devices like the dynamic tactile device that APH and Humanware, APH, the American Printing House and Humanware are partnering with as well. So the idea being, I was talking to Greg Stilson from the American Printing House, and he was telling me that to create one math textbook, it costs upwards of $30,000 just for one book for one student in one location. So that's you know not only the cost of transcription, but the cost of paper as well. And when you have a thing like the dynamic tactile device, you can transfer text and graphic images to a student in near real time, and they can have that information and they can receive that textbook in a much quicker fashion yeah it's fascinating um this is where it really needs to get to um and of course this is really all focused on education at the moment we can obviously see the benefits in other areas of work and and employment and all of that but let's just focus primarily on kids here right that's that's really what this is about Uh, so you've got three contenders in this game really haven't you because you've got APH and humanware You've got the dot pad. Now, the dot pad, that's from the company that made the dot watch. Is right. that right? Yes. 
So they've come up, they've come to market with this new product. So the dot pad is actually also the underlying technology in the APH thing, which I know was kind of confusing to some people. Oh, I see. Right. Okay. It's actually the same technology. So dot managed to get a partnership with Apple that in iOS 15.2 and above. Now, of course, nobody's seeing this because who has a dot pad yet? There's actually new items in the rotor that relate to tactile graphics that if you happen to have a dot pad, which only a few people in the world do at the moment, uh, you can send images from your phone to uh, the device. So they were actually showing up icons that were on the home screen. They were sending them over to the device. One of the big things they have done with this too is created an API. So a way for developers to create uh, applications and other tools that work between the iPhone and the dot pad. And it's not just the iPhone. They're going to be open to working with other companies as well to transfer graphics and information on the dot pad. Where APH and Humanware are taking this a step further through the dynamic tactile device, they are really hyper-focused on education and transferring things like textbooks, uh, line graphs, pie charts, things like that into the same textual format. So it won't be the same device. It'll be the same underlying Braille technology. Um, but the APH Humanware partnership is really focusing on not just textbooks, but making uh, both uh, graphics and text available on the same device in, in the same area. That's pretty big, though, isn't it, that they've got that partnership with Apple and and Apple haven't, you know, just subsumed that whole thing. And turned yeah, it right, absolutely. Kind of to, to be in the rotor. Like, wow. Yeah, and, and to be kind of already out there. It seems interesting that that's just happened. That, that's absolutely incredible that that's the case. So, right, so that's the that's one of the contenders then. And the other, uh, I guess, at the moment is that's out there, and I, I don't know if this would have been on display, but we did hear about a new Braille note-taker from Orbit called the Orbit Speak. They also have, and I can't remember the name of it, but they also have a similar device so already. Or, yes, so Orbit, uh, a few years ago, this is where the, the tactile graphics started. Um, the Graffiti is a device That's that a, was yes, created in a partnership between them and several organizations, including APH. Um, a couple of differences. The graffiti also had graphics, but the dots on it were quite a bit bigger and are quite a bit bigger. So where the dots on the dot pad are pretty much the size of Braille dots, the dots on the graffiti are much larger. But one of the advantages of that is they do have multiple dot heights between uh, zero, which is flat, and four, which would be all the way up. And you could have you know variable dot heights. That can be useful, but the dots are quite a bit bigger. Now, what they've done this year is they've created a version of that graffiti that also has a 40-cell Braille display on the bottom. So since the graffiti does not do a great job of rendering Braille on its own, they added a line of Braille on the bottom. So you could put text on the bottom, and then you would have the graphics on the top. Now, the original graffiti, they're selling for 15000 I don't see a price yet for the new one. So that's the approach they've taken. So they're maybe a little uh, at a different stage or uh, they're taking a little different different approach with this. Um, but uh, there is another contender, you're right. These are not consumer devices. Well, I mean, they are if you've got $15,000 hanging yeah. around, I guess. But yeah, these are not going to be for not consumers. Yet. But not yet. No. I mean, it's obviously it's very early on. Uh, the dot pad thing is going to be, I have a developer edition that's going to come out towards the end of the year. The APH Humanware, they're targeting the end of 2023 as a possible release. So we're still a little ways off, but you know, probably the graffiti is the closest to market at the moment. 
Yeah, it's an interesting new area, really. That, that's, I mean, although it's been touted for a couple of years, it's nice to actually, I guess, get up close and personal with some of this and see the development of it. So that's pretty cool. Uh, let's talk about note takers then, because uh, there's a couple to talk about. And uh, the Orbit Speak is the one a lot of people have questions about, JJ. Uh, but you were telling me just before we started that uh, they're a bit quiet about this device, despite announcing it at CSUN. Yes, they announced that CSUN. It's, I would say it's quiet because they're still trying to figure out some things like uh, important questions, like what voice is it actually going to use? So mm. if anyone has felt the Orbit Rider, the Orbit Rider is a sub $100 little Braille keyboard. And what I like to tell people is a Braille display without the display. So it's designed as a wireless keyboard to connect to mobile phones. It just has the Perkins keyboard on it and a few navigation keys. So now if you take that device, make it just a tiny bit thicker, add a speech chip, add Wi-Fi, add some other things, turn it into kind of a mini note taker. That's what they're going after with the Orbit Speak. It's still a lot of details are trying to flesh out on what it's, exactly it's going to do, but they definitely want to come in and make it a really affordable note taker, perhaps do some book reading features, perhaps do some other stuff and kind of target that market for people who want a note taker that don't want to spend thousands. So what have they announced? Is it an actual product or a prototype? It is going to be a product, and he... They expect it to have it released uh, by the end of this year, perhaps a little bit sooner. It's a product that's just a lot of details they haven't worked out yet. Because, I mean, one of the questions I have, I mean, <laughs> I bet you're thinking, <laughs> I, I don't know the answer too. to these questions. Yes. We've all got questions. But, what you know, I'm thinking, what OS is this running? Is it going to be based on Android? Is it going to be running no. something else? No, they're not going to be based on Android because they want to keep it simpler um, as far as right. don't take care. I think it's going to be Linux in the background. Um, it's probably going to be similar software. So you already have the Orbit Reader 20 Plus in the Orbit Reader 40, which are 20 and 40 cell Braille displays. And it makes the most sense to try to use the same software across all of these. So you can share features, you can share functionality, and then all of them will start getting various updates here and there. Is that what the Orbit Real displays run off? Yeah. Linux? Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Okay. And I'm guessing no idea of price yet. No idea of price yet, other than, you know, we have some baselines. So the Orbit Rider 20 Plus, at least here in the United States, sells for $749 currently. The Orbit Rider sells for $99. So one would assume we might come in somewhere in between those values somewhere. That's not bad for a note taker. I mean, you know, that, that's a very interesting um, proposition, isn't it? When you think about the other real note takers. Yeah. I mean, again, there are differences in options, right? I mean, it's a Mini versus a Rolls Royce. Um but, you know, it, it depends on what you need, ultimately. Right. And that's the question, right? What do people want in a note taker these days? So some people have been comparing this to the Braille and Speak. Well, when the Braille and Speak was out in the 90s, and that's when it had its heyday, there was no iPhone. And there was, you know, not a lot of computer use back then, maybe not as much, at least. So the Braille and Speak did a lot of things that maybe you wouldn't have needed to do today. So now the question is, are you going to target it at people who also use smartphones and make it a compliment? Or are you going to try to include as much as you can for people who just want a standalone device? There's a lot of different ways that you could go with this and going to be way more features and feature requests and there will be time to include. So it will be on them to try to develop and, and prioritize the most important features and figure out what would be best in their product. And Hims brought a new note taker as well. Yes, so the Braille Sense 6 came out last year. That's an, uh, an upgrade to their Polaris note taker. And now this year, because they had a Polaris Mini, now there's a Braille Sense 6 Mini. So it's a 20 cell uh, note taker, which has all the same functionality of the Braille Sense 6. So this is your more 
high-end note taker that does run Android. Uh, I believe it's Android 10, although I don't really care too much about Android versions as much as some people might. Uh, and I'm an Android person, but it's, you know, it's new enough that it will run all the modern Android apps. They really focused with these note takers on collaboration apps. They were talking about new features uh, for browsing Google Drive, Dropbox, OneDrive. They pretty much all just show up as a drive, so you can really easily connect and share and collaborate with other features. But it was a nice, compact, and tidy note taker. It's going to be released uh, sometime in the spring, uh, $45.95 US. So you're right, that's a little bit different than, say, you know, a, a $1,000 uh-huh. note taker. But, you know, for people who really love the, uh, those products and use them a lot for school, those are definitely targeted at, at education and portables. Um, that's coming out soon. There will be an upgrade path as well if people want to move their cells from a current Polaris to a new BrailleSense 6 Mini. And it's interesting because the uh, the technology inside these, you know, you, you can make the argument, and many have, about what the, the capability of these things are. But again, it's what is needed for that particular device. Um, I, I also think, you know, my own experience of HIMS um, being hands-on with them at an exhibition versus other note takers and, and other even displays, I think that the HIMS products are very well built from my own experience. Do you do you feel that way? Yeah, I feel that way as well. And they really always put a lot of effort into kind of trying to engineer features that people are looking for. They're willing to sometimes think a little bit out of the box of the things that they will look to implement in their products. Um, they have a lot of line people on their staff, not to speak of any other companies, because I think Hims and Humanware both are doing yeah, a good yeah, job yeah, good, at, yeah. at note takers. Yeah. I mean, those are the, as far as the, the premium and note takers, those are the, the two players that we have since Freedom Scientific got away from the note taker game a few years ago. And they both are doing a good job of kind of really focusing on education. You can tell that's what they're going after. They do a lot with editing documents in various formats. They do a lot with sharing documents, lots of stuff with math. These are the types of features that they feel you would still want to buy a note taker for as opposed to just a Braille display that's connected to an iPhone. So talk to us about Good Maps because they were in attendance and um, I saw quite a splash about Good Maps uh, and not just uh, promoting what they do uh, and we can maybe get into a bit of detail about that and what that is, but also they were a big part of the event itself and helping people navigate. Yeah, so Good Maps is a navigation company that kind of splintered off of APH. There used to be a Nearby Explorer, which was a GPS app that kind of briefly morphed into an indoor explorer. And now Good Maps is its own company uh, based in Louisville, Kentucky, that you can use. Um, and, and they're developing technology for indoor navigation. And what they're doing that's a little bit different is instead of using beacons and Bluetooth uh, devices that you have to kind of install all over the place, they are mapping locations using the camera technology, using LiDAR, using uh, those types of technologies. So what you can do is you take your phone at a supported location like the Marriott Anaheim, you point it vertically so the camera can kind of pinpoint where you're at, and then it will start telling you where you're at and help you navigate places. I've used this. It's not perfect, but it certainly is better than what I have seen for before for indoor navigation. It certainly is showing the potential um, of what is possible for indoor navigation. It's not just telling me that something is 100 feet away, which is what I saw before in indoor nav. I was able to say, find me the nearest restaurant, uh, restroom or restaurant, and you can, you know, it'll say walk forward for 100 feet, uh, turn left, and it was pretty accurate as far as the turns. You know, it's going to depend on where you're at. You know, when you're in a big hotel lobby, it's a little harder, for instance, perhaps, is to pinpoint your location versus walking down a hallway. So it's going to depend, and obviously, you know, they're going to be learning a lot, and they are learning a lot as they're going, and they want feedback on how this works for people. But this is popping up 
in a few locations, I think some in the UK even and all over the place as far as uh, trying to look at this technology. Um, and this is one of a couple or one of a few different indoor navigation solutions. And one of the things I heard from all the companies is they want these things to work with each other because we don't want to go into a situation where say you're at an airport or a train station and then you have to figure out which app supports your location. The ideal thing is whatever indoor navigation app you're using, it'll be able to get you around wherever you're at, just like GPS does for outdoor. Yeah, that's that's a. I'm glad they're thinking that way because that would be the problem, right? It's like, oh, you've got the wrong app, and then you're absolutely yeah. screwed. Um, that's that's very interesting. I mean, it, overall, it sounds like there was a lot going on. Anything else that kind of caught your your eye, your ear as you were walking around? You're thinking, oh, that's interesting. I haven't seen that, or was it was it a showcase that perhaps we've maybe seen before on display? Yeah, right. Because sometimes you have companies that, you know, people aren't seeking them out because they don't really know what they do. And, you know, but there's a lot of interesting kind of uh, smaller technology. I found a company in the hall called Sixa Futuro. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. They're from Spain and they had a lot of lower tech products. But uh, one of them was a talking globe and it was talking using a wand that you could point at various locations. The globe itself kind of had a raised relief area so you could feel mountains and, and lakes and things like that. And you pointed the little wand at the globe and it would tell you what you were pointing at, whether it's a a country or a region or things like that. And they market it in various countries currently. It's big in Spain and a few others. And they're kind of there because they say they can localize it. They can customize it to your country. And they're selling it for about under $200. So little things like that. It's fun to see. Uh, uh, smaller companies, also bigger companies. Though Sony was there, Sony has had a presence for several years. And among the things they were showing, of course, they were showing their talking televisions and even a PlayStation Five. They had a, a camcorder um, that was twenty five hundred dollars, more in the professional range, but it's not the type of product that you ex- normally expect to have a screen reader in. Um, now it doesn't do things like helping you take pictures yet, but at least it reads the menus and things like that. So if somebody who was blind wanted to go into video uh, videography, they could use a device like that, and the menus and things would talk because there was a screen reader built in. Well, I mean, you know, somebody who, and I think about, for example, James Rath, who we've had on the show, and you know, I'm sure you're aware of James mm-hmm. and his work. Um, you know, people like him who are being sort of crying out for this kind of tech for a while. You know, it's like he may have a little bit of vision that allows him to use the camera. And in some cases, a lot of people with low vision find using a camera really helpful because they can see so much through the viewfinder. But the problem they have is they can't read the menus. And, you know, having that being able to be read back, that is just brilliant. And how many people who are older want to take pictures and may not have perfect vision? Yeah, I don't know uh, how many so times much you can put on those screens, right? Exactly. And I'm not sure, you know, I mean, how many times you do you just like go on mainstream forums or, or things like that and you see comments about like, oh, I can't use this because I can't read the menus. You know, they're yeah. not they're not going to CSUN and specifically looking for this stuff. They don't think it's available. But you see people all the time that end up using like the features on an iPhone or the magnifier on Windows just because it's available and since they can use it. And especially as more people are, are getting older and there's more seniors in the population, there's going to be more of a need for that. So, so see mainstream devices, including these features, not charging extra from some sort of accessibility add-on, just including that. I think that's one thing, thankfully, that, that is going away is like there's no a lot less of, yes, you can uh, use a screen reader with this device and you pay $3,000 more. And I'm glad that's going away. Yeah. Definitely. And did you get a chance to jam with Stevie Wonder? I did not actually. I saw him. I didn't. I didn't see him. I heard I was at a, a, the uh, Vespera was doing an event. They the makers of uh, Jaws, you know, Freedom Scientific, and all that. And apparently he was there. I know he likes to attend CSUN often. Um, and mm-hmm. you always get someone walking up to you. Hey, you know, Stevie Wonder's here. And like 
and you know they're like really excited which i appreciate and he's you know obviously a really famous person and it's i'm like yeah it's cool he's there every year <laughs> he's yeah he does about, he, he yeah. likes to show up doesn't he, he, just he does, likes to show which up makes there. sense why not he need, need well he's blind him. right absolutely <laughs> yes listen jj what an amazing uh time it sounds like uh, are you glad to be back are you quite tired now <laughs> yes i, I, I yeah. think i got on a day schedule i decided to do a red eye flight that was not the smartest this move but whatever i am back i'm recovering and now i'm going to today start sorting through all my notes and we're gonna get the podcast going out and start sharing all sorts of information well that's that's what i'm looking forward to listening to so where can people find all that so the podcast under blind bargain so it's called the blind bargains cast so the easiest way to do is just to search for blind bargains on your podcast app on uh on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever you have, or you can go to blindbargains.com. Thanks so much for that, JJ. Really appreciate your time and definitely looking forward to checking out that podcast as uh, you should be doing already. Uh, That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. We're back tomorrow. Love Double Tap? Did you know we're on the TV too? Check out brand new episodes of Double Tap TV on AMI-tv every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Or binge on all episodes online at ami.ca forward slash Double Tap. We're also on YouTube. Search for Double Tap to catch our episodes there too. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.